Welcome to Me Time, the podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everyone else and now say, it's my turn to take care of me. I'm Kim Aceto, health and self-care coach for women in midlife and your host. Thank you for spending your precious me time with me right now. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today I'm here with Susan Salinger. Susan was born and raised in Los Angeles, and for more than 25 years, Susan and her husband owned Salinger Films, which produced corporate training and development films and distributed them around the world. Sue wrote the scripts and the workbooks that accompanied the films. And once her children had grown up and she had some time for herself, Sue took some anthropology classes at UCLA. Her final project for one of those classes was a study of women who had undergone hysterectomies. That study was a catalyst for her new book called Sidelined. Sue's wonderful husband has passed away, but she has two fabulous daughters and four incredible grandchildren. They all live in Petaluma, California and see each other often. Sue, welcome to the Me Time Midlife Podcast. Well, thank you so much and thank you for having me. I very much appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to have you. And I can't wait to talk about your book. But first, actually, uh, before we even get to the me time question, I'm curious, um, why did you decide to study uh, women who had undergone hysterectomies? <laughs> That's a very good question. Because <laughs> I have not had one myself. But actually, one of the things that bothered me, I was trying to research what I wanted to do for my project that, you know, there was a term paper due in this class. And so I came across all the hysterectomy research and it really bothered me the way it was presented because it was so slanted towards trying to convince women to have hysterectomies. I mean, it said, for example, that 70% of women who have hysterectomies basically live happily ever after. But really that means that 30% or one third aren't nearly that happy. And that kind of thing kept going, kept that theme kept running through the research. So I thought, well, I'll interview some women and see what they had to say about it. And actually, the women I, I interviewed didn't have such a good experience. Several, two of them were very happy they'd had it, but it was a lot more difficult than they had anticipated. And they actually agreed with me that the literature didn't present the side effects as appropriately as it could have. Now, this was many years ago, so it may be different today. I have no idea. But so that's why, and I was very surprised to my, as surprised <laughs> you were. <laughs> right. That's very cool, though. I love that you went and studied that and you interviewed women. And I mean, you're bringing these things to light, which is so, so important. So I'm just so grateful for the work that you do. And before we get into all of that, um, since you're a first time guest, I have to ask you, what do you enjoy doing during your me time? You mean besides taking anthropology classes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And napping. Napping is my favorite thing. Okay, great. What I particularly do is read. I'm an avid reader and I read, you know, everything I can get my hands on. Um, reading is very important to me. And I'm right now I'm addicted to mysteries and I've been going through the J.D. Robbs. I don't know. I mean, that's a pen name for Nora Roberts, I'm embarrassed to say, but they're, they're just wonderful. And I started at number one and I think I'm up to number 20 or 25, whatever, but it's been really fun. It's, I've just been barreling through them. So I think I would say reading is what I most enjoy during my me time. Oh, that's great. Much healthier than going through, uh, you know, 
all the Netflix shows and, you know, (laughs) reading is a much healthier uh, way to spend your time than uh, binge watching TV. Keeps my hands out of the cookie jar. Yeah, (laughs) that too. That too. Right. Although it is nice to have a little cookie while you're reading, but no, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's get into your book called sidelined, how women manage and mismanage their health. So I mentioned um, that book a little bit earlier. So let's talk a little bit about your personal healthcare journey that led to you writing this book. Can you share that with us? Of course. The impetus for the book was I had some surgery that I absolutely knew I didn't need, and yet it agreed to it, and in fact insisted it be done sooner rather than later. Um, I had been taking some hormones, basically for osteoporosis, and the doctor offered me some new hormones, and I said, of course, let's try them. And then I started some vaginal bleeding. So, I mean, it seemed obvious to me that the new hormones were the problem. So I said, hey, let's let's go back on the old ones. And he disagreed. He said the new hormones couldn't possibly be the problem. So he ran a bunch of tests. Anyway, to make a long story short, he thought I needed exploratory surgery. And I just agreed. I didn't, I can tell you all the things I didn't do, which was, you know, give myself some time to think it over, get a second opinion, whatever. So I had the surgery and of course everything was fine. I went back on the old hormones hormones and the bleeding stopped. So I was just ashamed of myself that I had agreed to this. I mean, you know, I, I allowed myself to be in a hospital, to have anesthesia, to, you know, you, you, the hospitals are rampant with disease. I mean, sometimes you need to be there, but if you don't, it's not where I choose to hang out. So I was just ashamed of myself. And then I started taking these anthropology classes and actually it started with the hysterectomy with women because they too had realized that they had made some decisions, particularly as, as far as the hysterectomy was concerned, that they later regretted. And so then I began to wonder how many other women had done this. So I interviewed about 40 women with different diseases. I interviewed women with endometriosis, fibromyalgia, whatever. And I extrapolated five or six things that they all, their uh, behaviors, I should say, that they all had in, or did in common, regardless of their particular disease. And there were several things. Women just need, we need to learn to get out of our own way and take better care of ourselves. Very few of them had gotten second opinions, for example, and had rushed into doing whatever the doctor suggested. So it was really a very, very interesting um, set of interviews for me because so many women had done what I did. Mm, Right, right. Interesting. So that's, that is interesting about um, women tend to not uh, get a second opinion. Uh, Why is that? Are are you saying that you think men tend to get a second opinion more than Yes, actually I am. First of all, a, a lot of people don't get, a lot of patients, men and women, don't get second opinions. Um, in fact, people research a car for about eight, a new car for about eight hours. They research uh, a new job for about 10 hours. But when it comes to a recommended surgery or surgeon, or they, rec- they, that, they only spend about one hour doing that. So you can see the difference. But women don't get, we hesitate to get second opinions. First of all, many women feel that the doctor knows best. Who am I to ask and question his his or her judgment? Secondly, we feel that we don't want to be rude. We've been taught to play nice and you, you you catch more flies with honey than vinegar, that sort of thing. 
And a lot of the women I talked to, and I thought this two things they said that I thought were very interesting. The first was they didn't want to be labeled a bad patient. One woman, one woman said to me that she was afraid that it would, if she asked for a second opinion, in fact, she said she would never ask for a second opinion because she felt that she would get a black mark against her that would follow her through her, her medical career, if you, if you don't mind mm -hmm. that word. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing they said was that they were afraid of being called hysterical. They didn't want to be thought of as, as a hysterical woman. So that actually stopped them from calling another doctor and getting another mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. So there are really very good reasons for this. And I think what women don't realize, or I didn't realize anyway, until I did all my research, was just how tricky diagnosis can be. It's, there's about 20 to 40,000 diseases out there, and many of them mimic each other and have the same symptoms. And so I think that it's very difficult for a doctor to, to diagnose. It's like looking for a needle in, the hay, in a haystack. And when you realize that, and you realize some of the biases that, that go into a diagnosis, I think it would convince more people, particularly more women, to get that second opinion. It's truly crucial. Mm. If the disease or treatment is invasive, I mean, obviously, if it's a cold, you don't need a second opinion. Um, but nevertheless, if you're told that you have cancer or whatever, and the treatment is like myself, surgery or whatever, um, a second opinion, I think is crucial. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and for all the reasons you talked about why women tend to not get a second opinion, um, I just want to say that, like, those reasons... I can definitely see, and I can see myself feeling like I want to bring up. So, I mean, I, that would be a reason or many reasons why I wouldn't get a second opinion. Um, and you know, the, why we feel these ways is not necessarily our fault. It's, it's the world in which we live in, right? It's, it's the, all these stereotypes that we women have that cause us to, you know, respond in these certain ways. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm really hoping to that we change that, right? Um, and that women do start to take care of themselves and do start to advocate for themselves and their health. Um, and, you know, Sue, when you and I talked um, the other day, yeah, I was really interested by something you shared with me. Um, you shared with me um, about researchers who asked women to rank in order uh, who they, uh, who they tend to prioritize. You remember you telling me I, this? I, I, indeed. I knew just where you were going. <laughs> I would love for you to share that with our listeners. Um, uh, because I think, I mean, it's so aligned with the work I do here, um, with, um, the me time midlife podcast. Uh, but why don't you share that? I find that very interesting. I know it was it was it was fun in in a way and of course sad in another. But re researchers asked women they gave women a list of five things and asked them to prioritize what they would put first. So the first thing women put was they they would take care of their children first. Then they would take care of their elderly parents or families or I'm sorry that was number three. Number two was they would take care of their pets. Number three was they would take care of their elderly parents or family members or whatever. Number four, they would take care of their significant others. And number five, they would take care of themselves. They put themselves last. And that's what I meant when I said at the beginning that women need to learn to take better care of themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 
There, there was a study, uh, there was just a real quick another study done with women who felt they were having a heart attack, they were experiencing chest pain or, or whatever. And so many women hesitated to call 911. Well, first of all, one woman just laid in bed and waited till morning because she didn't want to wake her husband because she knew he'd had a very long day at work. Another woman finally drove herself to the hospital but didn't tell anybody because she didn't want her family to have to wait long times in the waiting room. And then my, my favorite study was when, um, <laughs> when researchers asked women who also thought they were having heart attacks, you know, how many of them would call 911. And I think only half of them were willing to do so. Why, you might ask? Because they didn't want the param to bother anybody or have the paramedics see their messy house. So right. we put a lot of things ahead of ourselves. You know, it is so funny. You, you and I, and, and possibly listeners too, not sure, uh, you know, we chuckle, right? I mean, you even preface this by saying that right. it, it's funny, but it's also sad. And, and you know, you and right. I are talking and, and we're chuckling at these things, but at the same time, they're really terrible for us, but we chuckle right. because we know, we understand, we women, we don't want to bother anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, right? right. And we don't want anyone to go out of their way to, to help us. Um, and so, you know, they just hit so close to home, but at the same time, I'm really hoping that, you know, in, including myself, um, that us as listeners and those listening right now, um, can really, you know, understand this too. the fact that, um, you know, this is, it's, it, it sounds so ridiculous is I guess is what I'm trying to say when, when you hear it, right. It sounds so ridiculous. Yeah. We put our pet first before our elderly parents, you know, we don't well, want to bother the paramedics, even though it's their job to come in yeah. and help us. We'd rather, we'd rather just, you know, die on the floor, you know, than to, than to ask somebody for help. I mean, again, funny, but sad, right? And and Absolutely. and what what Absolutely. you're doing with your book and your messaging, Susan, is your you know you're starting to you're you're bringing these things to light, and they're just so so important. Um, you know, I, yeah, all this research you've done is is really interesting. Well, I want to go that. back to something you said because I thought it was so important. You you said that it was the way we're brought up in a sense that it was it's our socialization and our culture. And I really want to emphasize that. First of all, if you take a look at medical history, medical history and women have had a very unhappy relationship. We've been women have been blamed for years for our inferior bodies. I mean, Aristotle called us mutilated males or leaky vessels because we menstruate and cry. Um, the Dutch said that a house full of daughters is like a cellar full of sour beer. The Chinese called us mag called daughters maggots in the rice. I mean, that's uh, the, the de degradation or devaluation of women has managed to even transcend cultures. And on top of that, I think currently, I'm trying to be quick because I want to, you know, adhere to your timeline. But I, I, currently, I think the wellness movement, in many ways, has done us a disservice. Certainly, it's, it's provided us with many, many good ideas about how to live a healthy lifestyle. I'm not saying it hasn't, but it also makes the assumption that if you live healthy, you know, harness your happiness, eat right, exercise, that you'll 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 live a healthy life. And I think that totally ignores the randomness of illness. 
I always tell the story about my father-in-law who ate nothing but red meat, smoked cigars daily, never exercised, hated vegetables, wouldn't look at a carrot and you know, died at 85 after hardly ever being sick in his life. And my blood pressure is far higher than his ever was and I do everything right. So there you go. Right. Yeah, that I, is, that is true. I, I don't uh, nature's weird. I'm, yeah, nature's weird. <laughs> nature's right. weird, right? Right. Um, and and you know, I mean, I could I could go into a little thing there, but um, but I won't. I won't. But basically, just um, we want to give ourselves the best chance for a healthy, happy life, and doing all those things: eating right, exercising, you know, lowering our stress, getting good sleep, having good relationships, um, yeah. you know, surrounding ourselves with with healthy people. Um, those are all really important things. And, um, and also not just long-term, but how we, how we feel short-term right after we've had, uh, I'll be honest, um, over the weekend, I did not eat very healthy and I enjoyed myself very, very much. Um, <laughs> but my stomach was not happy with me. Right. right. And so, sure. but when we do eat healthy, we do, um, have more energy. We feel good. And I'm preaching to the crowd. So, um, actually, I, okay. So we have, I'm so glad you, I love all the facts that you share. I love it. Very, very interesting. Um, so I want to ask you this because, you know, marketing companies, um, pharmaceutical companies, which is one of what I want to ask you about. Uh, you've said that, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies tend to target women more than men. Uh, I believe something like that. Can you go into that a little bit? If I got yeah, that right. Yeah, absolutely you do. And that fascinated me. First of all, it's very interesting to know that more than half of all Americans take four prescriptions a day. So you realize how much money that is for the different pharmaceutical companies. And women are prescribed more drugs than men. Well, for one thing, we go to the doctor more often. We take our kids, our parents, and the more doctor visits you have, the more medications you're likely to be prescribed. But I think also we have more chronic diseases, so we need more relief. I'm, these autoimmune diseases can be very difficult to live with, and we need that kind of medication. But I think what's also important to realize, and this blew me away, frankly, is that women make about 80% of all of the healthcare purchasing decisions in the country. So that's 80% is a lot. And you can see why most of the TV ads, for example, feature a female protagonist. Um, because we are deaf. And if you incidentally, if you notice, a lot of them will have children in them because the, the statistics show that if you have, if you take care, if you feel like you're taking care of your child, you're more like you're going to sell more drugs that way is basically is what it means. Um, the other thing that I found very interesting is that New Zealand and the United States are the only two countries in the world that market their drugs to consumers. And what's mind-boggling is just how how successful those those ads are. I think the, the ads that are marketed to consumers sell nine times more than ads that are not marketed to consumers. And forty percent or so, something like that, of the people that watch 
an ad on television will either call their doctor to make an appointment or request a particular medication that was promoted. So, I mean, yet we have to remember that pharma is a, pharmaceuticals are a very big business. And I think that before we rush for our physical, for physical relief from the medications, that is important, if, particularly if the medication has potentially serious side effects, to get that second opinion and to hesitate before you take them. And I want to just tell a quick personal story here. Please. I, I had a, I have, it's all better now, but I had an arthritic thumb. So, and I'm on Lexapro because as you mentioned, that's for depression and as my husband just passed away. So I thought I'm not doing so well here. I better take some antidepressants. So I go to the hand doctor and say, you know, listen, I've got this thumb, thumb issue. And she prescribes a medication, whatever it was. And I came home and because I've done my book and read my book, I looked up the medication. Well, it turns out that the medication she prescribed to help the thumb pain, if you're taking Lexapro, it has a one or two percent chance of causing a brain bleed. Well, one percent's not a lot unless you're in the one percent. But on the other hand, what would you rather have, a sore thumb or a brain bleed? I mean, really, you know, that's kind of a no-brainer, <laughs> no pun intended. Right. But so, I mean, I think, again, I think it's important to do your research. She didn't know, and I don't even know that I told her I was on Lexapro. I don't remember. Um, probably not. I didn't think about it particularly. I was only thinking about my thumb. So there, I think it's important to be careful that you don't rush into which takes us full circle doesn't it don't rush into, into and do exactly what your doctor says check it out doctors most of the time know right are, are you know are right of course they've been to medical school and we haven't and most of them really want to help their patients as best they can but it's a, a diagnosis as i said is it's tricky and I think that it's a very difficult thing. When a patient walks in with a broken leg and tells them that their leg hurts, it's obvious. But unfortunately, most diagnoses aren't that easy. And that, that's an important concept. Mm, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's really important. Okay. Um, so I'm glad we have time for this because I did want to ask you about this that you do write about also in your book about yeah. um, some women believing their illness is a punishment for back for past uh, behaviors. Uh, talk about that a little bit more, please. I was so upset to realize that so many of the women I met blamed themselves for their illness. Some said it was a punishment for past behavior. Most said, or many of them said that they felt it was due to stress and that their inability to manage it. And what, what made me feel particularly sad was that so many of them felt that their illness was a public acknowledgement of their inability to manage their lives. That if they had been better at doing whatever it was they felt that they weren't good at, <laughs> they wouldn't have gotten sick. And while I think it's important to realize that self-blame gives, gives patients, not only women, but gives patients a sense of control, it, it, you, it, it helps answer the question of why me? And you say to yourself, well, if I, I know I did this, so if I stop doing this, then maybe I won't be sick again. But the reality is we go back to my father-in-law and we realize that illness is frequently random. So there are a lot of women or patients that are under stress who don't get sick. And there's a lot of patients who smoke and who don't get lung cancer. I mean, there's, it, it, as you said, nature is weird. And I think that um, 
the shame, what it, what it can do, if you go back to the story with the women who didn't want to bother the paramedics or have either messy house, shame can be fatal. And I think that it's something that we all need to be aware of and ignore if we, if we feel that way, because it can prevent us from getting help when we most need it. Yeah. And, you know, the messages that we get as women in society that we're you know, not capable. We're not responsible. We, right. um, you know, all, all of the things that are not true necessarily, right. We don't follow right. through. We, um, right. we can't juggle too many things at one time, right. We're, we, we already feel like we're failing all the time. And then when right. we do get sick, then like you said, it's that public announcement of like, Hey, I don't know how to take care of myself or, right. I'm failing in this area as well, or something like that, right? I can see how. Yes. In fact, I mean, I, I, I'm back on my medical history because that's my favorite chapter of the book. I loved it. But I mean, our reproductive organs were blamed for moral insanity. Um, in fact, uh, menopause, <laughs> menopause was used as a, uh, what do I say, I guess an excuse or an alibi for shoplifting. The, the women would plead they were in menopause and it was moral insanity. I mean, you know, that was the, that was the, that was the plea. So it's, you know, our bodies, if we have not valued ourselves, nor has history valued us as well. And I think a lot of us internalize that. And I think that's in some ways what you're saying. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying is there is a lot of pressure to act and be and behave and look and, right. uh, you know, say, and, you know, fill in the blank with so many other things how we are supposed to be and how we're supposed to look and act and all of that stuff. And, and there's just a lot, a lot of pressure that we women have, um, you know, going through this world and, right. um, you know, so navigating all of this and, um, you know, the, the whole, uh, the whole theme of my podcast here is, is me time and, and prioritizing yourself and not saying that I'm better. I'm more important. My needs are, are, are bigger and more important than everybody else's, but putting your needs, your self-care, um, you know, what you want for yourself, um, putting all of those things at the, at, at the top of the list where other people might be at the top of the list as well. Right. So, um, not saying that you're more important, but saying you're just as important as everyone else. Correct. And even the airplanes tell you to put on your own mask before you put on the, your kid's mask. And there's a reason for that. And, and I'm saying, if you take care of yourself and make yourself a priority, you'll be better able to do your job at work or to take care of your family or whatever your other priority, to take care of your pet, whatever your priorities <laughs> are. <laughs> right, right. Um, Okay. So we have a couple minutes left, Sue. So I, I do want to ask you, you know, we've been talking about all of this, you know, for, for us as women um, to take better care of ourselves. Again, the theme of this podcast. Now, what is your take on this? How can we start to uh, prioritize ourselves and, and our health better and advocate for ourselves better? I think there's a couple of things we can do. The first thing I would definitely recommend is to take as charge as best you can of your doctor appointment. Make a list of, of your, uh, make an agenda, so to speak, before you visit the doctor. If you make a list of the questions you wanna ask or the symptoms you wanna describe, the, the interview will be more focused and you'll help keep it on track. 
So this, and the second thing I wanna say is when you are at your doctor's office, you need to repeat back what you hear him or her say so that you're sure that you understood correctly and the doctor has a chance to correct whatever you've misheard. And third, I think it's very important to work with your doctor, ask about a second opinion. Please don't be afraid. Most doctors welcome a second opinion because they do know how, how tricky a an accurate diagnosis can be and they will work with you. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention and, and frankly forgot was there's a resource list at the back of the book that is very, very helpful and that I worked very hard on so that anything you want to research, it lists a bunch of websites that will help you research your doctor, your symptoms, the hospital, the doctors affiliated with, the medications, whatever you can think of. I hope I, I included as much as I could think of anyway. And I think that having the research skills to research whatever you need to is also a way that you can put yourself first and take charge. I think the basic message of my book, and oh my gosh, it's 1229, but the basic message of my book is I really want women to feel, be empowered, to have the courage to stand up and take care of themselves and, and do an even better job than we're already doing. Ah. Uh. Beautiful. I was going to say something else, but I, I don't want to ruin it. I think that is a beautiful <laughs> last message to end on, Sue. Well, geez, uh, what a gift you've given the world with this book and your message and even interviewing those 40 women. I mean, giving them a, a place, a, a safe place um, to, to be heard. I think that is so important for us women. We need to feel safe. We need to feel supported. We need to feel heard and seen. And that is exactly what you did by interviewing these women. And then, you know, getting all this information together, putting together a book and uh, putting it out there. And I'm really honored to be able to um, have a platform uh, for you to share your book with Sue. So um, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. I'm going to put your, um, you know, website, um, you know, how to get the book and all that information uh, in the show notes. And um, uh, yeah, I just really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing with me. I really enjoyed our conversation, Sue. Thank you. I did too. Thank you so very much. Thanks for listening. If you find the Me Time Midlife podcast valuable, please tell your friends about it. And if you haven't yet, you can also subscribe to the podcast or leave a positive rating or review which is always greatly appreciated. If you're on Facebook, you can stay up to date with the latest episodes by following my coaching page, Transformation Wellness for Women. And finally, if you've been taking care of everyone else and now say, it's my turn to take care of me, I invite you to join our Me Time Midlife community on Facebook, where we continue the conversations we have here on the podcast. Simply go to metimemidlifepodcast.com and click on Me Time Midlife Community to learn more and join us today. It's an honor to produce this podcast for you. So thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.